0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with British singer-songwriter and pianist Kirsty Merrin. Our conversation went quite deep on various topics including creativity, education, songwriting, performing, and anxiety. You can find Kirsty online at kirstymerrin.com and to find out more information about me and the projects I'm working on, have a look at robertlaymusic.co.uk. It would be fantastic if you could subscribe to this podcast and also rate and review it because doing that just helps more people to find it in the future. Okay, here's Kirsty. Hi, Kirsty. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for joining me. What have I interrupted to talk to you today?
1: No worries. Um, Well, not a great deal, really. I'm getting ready for the Christmas holidays. Um, I've got a gig this evening, um, so I've got to do a bit of practice for that. But other than that, nothing really. Just doing some uh, Christmas present wrapping and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> I think I saw on your Facebook Live the other day that you were you were saying how busy you were and then you were honest and said, I'm not really, but it just feels like you have to kinda of <laughs> say that around Christmas.
1: Yeah. 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 I think it's a thing, I mean I know lots of people are really busy over the Christmas holidays. Um, but I'm just having a quiet one this year. But it's really easy in uh you know, when people are constantly on social media, uh it's really easy to just yeah. be always comparing your life to other people, <laughs> isn't it? And thinking it falls short in some way.
0: Yeah, and you feel kind of bad if I'm not busy, I'm not doing, I'm not doing humanity properly. I must say that I am. Um, Yeah. What's the gig tonight? Then is that a, a Christmassy thing?
1: um it's uh i don't think it's a i think it's kind of like a, a chris a christmas thing in as much as it's like a nice excuse for a gig but it's not like christmas themed or anything there are loads of um folk musicians this year seem to be doing christmas tours and stuff mm. um and winter tours which is interesting um no but it's in Hitchin, um and there's a few different acts playing um so, yeah, should be a nice one.
0: That sounds good. I, it's, it's one or the other, isn't it, I always find. It's either really busy for playing at Christmas, whether it's like yeah. your own stuff or, or other things, or you don't do anything. So, like this year, I'm, I haven't gigged for a couple of weeks now and I haven't got anything until the new year, which is, is quite nice. Yeah. I always get that feeling sort of mid-November, start of December, so, oh, I should organise a Christmas gig, get all yeah, my friends yeah. to come and play. And then you go, it's much too late. You should have arranged that, <laughs> yeah. like, in March or something yeah
1: well that's it you have to just arrange everything so far in advance so yeah
0: it's like learning the christmas songs isn't it it's like there's the book of christmas because i do sessions for mencap um right yeah so i I go and do music and drama sessions there so in about november they're asking for christmas songs and you're like oh i've got to go and learn them and then kind of by this Mm -hmm. point in december you you feel quite comfortable with them and then you think i can't play these after next week anyway
1: yeah (laughs) you just have to keep playing them through the year so you've got them up still for next year
0: Okay, could you tell us a little bit then about how um music entered your life when you were, oh. were you first aware of music and wanting to do it
1: <laughs> um gosh, okay, that's an interesting question. Let's think when did music first appear to me well i'll tell you um I'll tell you what uh when um when I was in year nine at school, I'd always sort of just sung walking around the house and that oh don't pull the microphone off the (laughs) table um uh, and I'd had piano lessons um back in the day when uh the schools were able to offer free music lessons I had piano lessons starting Mm. in um primary school which was brilliant so I'd been playing the piano for a couple of years at that time um and I was just singing walking around the house and then um year nine at school there was a um a talent show (laughs) That used to happen. I think it was at Christmas time every year, and yeah. you, and you just could. You sort of had to audition, but like they, you know, as long as you wanted to be in it and you made a bit of effort, they were happy for you to do whatever. Um, so I decided I was going to sing, um, and uh, I didn't have a backing track, and I didn't feel confident enough, sort of playing the piano at that point. So I just sang unaccompanied on the stage. Wow, that's and then brave. I. Yeah. Well, it was terrifying. And I remember just being glued to the stage, barely moving, just singing the song. And then as soon as I got off the stage, bursting into tears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first live performance ever. Um, but then, um, I had a really lovely, um, music teacher and she sort of saw something in this pathetic performance, I guess, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and arranged for me to have, um, singing lessons from then on so um again free I was really lucky um at that time that state schools could still offer free lessons so then I started having singing lessons um and so it just all sort of developed from there really
0: and how quickly were you performing again after that then was that first experience and the coming off in tears was that (laughs) Um, was that off-putting for a while or did you get straight back on the horse afterwards
1: no I mean I really enjoyed being on the stage and also what I really enjoyed more was the next couple of weeks walking around school people coming up and saying oh we really liked your song and then you get a bit of a buzz for performing then when people are starting saying (laughs) nice things to you um but but really I mean I didn't perform as such for a long time but what I did do was um I um i was doing grades in singing and in piano and then you do have to perform in a way and singing exams um you have a a kind of table of 3 examiners sitting there and you have someone playing the piano for you and you have to stand in front of the examiners and sing to them as if they're your audience mm-hmm. um and so there's a big element of singing lessons which is about where you, where you're kind of learning how to perform and um so uh, those those exams were really kind of uh, my first foray into performing experience, I guess.
0: Which is interesting, isn't it? Because the two things you've mentioned, like singing on your own in front of the school with no music mm. and no one else, has is, is got to be one of the scariest ways to start up, pe- to get into yeah, performing. Bit- <laughs> and then having just two or three people there listening and examining you. <laughs> these oh, are gosh. these are quite fear-inducing ways of getting started. I would have. Thought. It's
1: really intense. Yeah, singing exams are really intense, especially because part of it is you have to make eye contact with the examiners because <laughs> you you have to not look like you're shy or scared. And so there's something really scary about singing. You know, I was doing classical style singing mm-hmm. at that time, so these kind of low, like Italian arias, like staring someone in the eyes <laughs> as you're trying to get your trills right. But it definitely, you're right. Throwing yourself in at the deep end is quite. Uh, quite Quite a trial by fire, I suppose.
0: It's interesting. I was having a conversation. I teach guitar lessons, and someone was talking Mm. about nerves and and being nervous about performing live and not wanting to do it. And I was trying to say that from my point of view, being nervous about things it just shows that it's important to you. And if you weren't feeling nervous, then you're not bothered enough about it. So just sort of embrace being nervous. And then I found a quote by the guitar player Joe Walsh, where it's something along the lines of. the first few times you perform, you're gonna be terrified and you're probably gonna be rubbish. Uh, yeah. it's just getting past that bit. <laughs> it's doing it a few times. Um yeah. but, and I guess there'll be a lot of people who get put off by that. I, I guess music, but certainly so like stand up comedians. Can you imagine doing that first ever stand up gig at an open mic or oh something? My goodness, and it yeah. going terribly and just stopping. But of course the difference between people <laughs> who carry on doing it and stop it is is just that, and it they just didn't stop. They just yeah. carried on regardless.
1: You're really right yeah and the first two the first few times you are performing live you're absolutely right it's so terrifying and there's no way you can be good when you're that scared you just you are mm. just going to be making poor performances but hopefully at that point you know you're the people who you've got when you first start out and you're basically doing open mics and stuff like that mm. um hopefully you'll have at least one or two friends in the audience and you know and they are going to tell you you're hopefully they're going to tell you you're brilliant however rubbish you are (laughs) and you're right you just have to get through those first kind of few performances and start thinking about how you sort of turn that nervous energy in on yourself and help it like let it help you drive you forward I guess
0: that's it and did nerves sort of enter into the equation for you now or, or never
1: um I don't generally I don't get nervous particularly it sort of depends on the kind of scale of the gig I'm doing yeah um so I did this I, I was support on a on a quite on a quite big tour a couple of years ago and I I didn't get nervous before each of those but I just I sort of felt this kind of level of responsibility like you've been given this platform you've been given mm-hmm. this opportunity you've got half an hour to play the best you can. And so it was more a kind of, I don't know, I just had this sort of fire, more than nerves. But I think that is just over time, that's how the nerves have sort of developed and Mm -hmm. clarified themselves a little bit into this kind of forward pushing motion, maybe.
0: Yeah, and I think also that just the experience shows you've already had the worst experiences. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. however badly things can go, you've coped with it before, I guess. Um, maybe exactly, the stakes yeah. are higher if the shows are um, more important in that sense. But the worst, like we've, you know, you've stood there and the guitar strings are broken or the gear's broken yeah. down or whatever. And that's terrifying until it happens. And it's like, well, you just cope with it, don't you?
1: You just deal with it, yeah. And I also think if something does go wrong when you're on stage, How you deal with that can also determine how the show goes on from then on. If something goes wrong and you bring the audience in on it, oh, this Mm. has happened, sorry, I'm going to have to fix it, turn Mm -hmm. it into a joke and Mm -hmm. show that you're not phased by it, the audience are going to be much more on your side than if you sort of start to panic and you start to let it affect you.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And it's that thing of, it's a live performance. So on some level, I think, an audience quite enjoys those elements of danger. And as you say, it's it's how you deal with it that's the thing. If people get their words wrong or do the wrong thing or whatever, if you're inexperienced, that feels like you've failed. But actually, it's how, as you say, it's how you then cope with it, isn't it? And if if the audience don't mind you making mistakes, if you uh, don't let it put, if it spoils the whole evening, they're going to mind. But if it's just that, they feel quite privileged, I think. I was there the night that she didn't remember the words to so-and-so. Yeah, for sure. She improvised the new verse, you know.
1: (laughs) Well, that's exactly it. So when I was started, so when I moved to London to kind of start gigging and I was doing open mics and stuff, and I would do, I made all the same mistakes that everybody does. But one of them is if you get the words wrong, stopping and saying, oh, sorry, and fixing it. (laughs) Yeah. And like nine-tenths of the audience aren't going to notice If the words are wrong for one thing, if they're your words, you can sing whatever you want. Like that's your, you know, (laughs) and if you just carry on, people aren't going to notice it. And if they do notice it, they'll just think, oh, I don't, I didn't think those were the words and they'll just get on with it. But if Mm -hmm. you start highlighting to the audience where you're making mistakes, which we all, I I used to do that um, for sure. We, I think everyone does it when they start out, but that's where, that's where an audience starts to doubt that you're in control of the situation and I think an audience wants the performer to be in control
0: yeah I think they do it's yeah I think different people do this in different ways don't they but someone comes on stage and starts performing and you can sort of sense that the audience have gone this person knows what they're doing you know we're going to be all right and some people might do that by being just very quiet and very centered and very almost in on themselves other people do it by I don't know being having bravado and and grabbing the audience by the the scruff of the neck and saying, You're coming with me. Mm-hmm. You know, people have different ways of doing it, but an audience could tell. I mean, there's some people who sort of uh, there's some performers who don't talk that much and you would kind of say yeah. that makes them look like they're not in control. But of course they absolutely are, because the less that they talk, the more they draw people into what they're doing and yeah, and yeah. People get intrigued by it. And that's one of the beauties of it, isn't it, is how differently people can approach this just one person standing on stage with an instrument singing some songs, but there's so many different yeah, ways to approach sure. that.
1: And you're going to offer, you know, those di- all those different performances, styles that you've just mentioned, they appeal to different audience people. So it mm. might be that someone comes to your show and you're, I, I talk quite a lot on stage, it might be that people don't like that, but that's, you know, that's fine. They'll find another performer that's more suited to them and mm. you've just got to be confident in the style that you're presenting.
0: That's it. So when you're performing are you are you completely yourself are you a version of yourself is it a completely different character?
1: Yeah, no I I think I'm a version of myself for sure. It's I think it's um again it comes down to that thing of it being a performance, but I'm have I, I have a conversation with the audience. Most of my um most of my songs are stories um and so over time I didn't used to give too much info on the songs but over time the feedback I've had is that people like hearing a bit more about the background behind songs. Yeah. So I do chat now between between songs quite a bit. But yeah, I would say it's I'd say it's a kind of amplified version of myself on stage.
0: Yeah, I I feel like that as well. And I, I was talking to someone mm. about it the other day. I don't always feel like I particularly like the version of myself that's on stage. Right. But oh, it's just but it's just you know it's the person that um it's the version that gets stuff to work. I guess. Um, right. Yeah. If that makes sense, I don't know. But um, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: Talking about songwriting, then, how quickly into mm. the the doing this stuff did did songwriting enter into, into it as well? Was it a performance thing first, or was the writing mm. always a part of the picture for you?
1: Yeah, no, it definitely started with performing. Um, so when I left college, I did um, music um, up to college, and then when I went to university, I uh, I made friends with a guy who. Um, ran a a jazz band. um, And so I sort of ended up joining the band as the vocalist. So for a long time I was performing at um, kind of function gigs, basically Mm. with this, with this jazz band. So doing weddings and parties and, you know, that kind of thing. And he, um, the leader of this jazz band, Tim Boniface, he taught me a lot about, improvisation the style of singing i've been Mm. doing up until that point was very precise this classical kind of you know you learn the very precise way of performing a song and so it was through um it was through singing in this jazz band that i really started to learn about improvisation and about thinking about how to perform a song in a slightly different way about finding new routes to get through it i guess um so I did that for a long time before I started writing, um, before I started writing my own stuff. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. So then to have been in the sort of classical world um, mm. and then moving into jazz, which is a transition that I guess people don't find particularly straightforward, maybe. For those mm. reasons that you mentioned, it's, jazz is a, about, I, I think, being quite a bit freer, isn't it, in interpreting things?
1: Yeah, definitely. A lot more flexible, Yeah.
0: And then would you now say that you're kind of more in a, f- a sort of folk area?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it sort of depends who you ask, I suppose. Um, but mm. I consider myself new folk. I mean, I there are controversies there for sh- for some people. So mm-hmm. I play the piano on stage, which some people don't consider a folk instrument. That's fine. That's up to them. Mm. Um, but I think that's short-sighted. Um, and obviously because I have a classically trained voice, I maybe sound a bit different to um people who have grown up doing the jazz, uh doing the folk circuit, you know, yeah. um le- learning learning in the sing around kind of session. Um but the songs I write are really in the folk um in the folk mode. I, I write songs based on folk structures and kind of traditions in the folk um world and I kind of try to play on some of those like um yeah, different uh different um themes I guess that come up in folk. Mm. Um so I yeah, I definitely consider myself to be a folk singer, but I definitely play with it and I, I bring all of those different elements into it that I've grown up with, the classical and the and the jazz as well.
0: And that thing about the piano then, is that because it's mm. is a digital piano, or do they literally mean piano in general?
1: Well, there's a few different options. I mean yes it, yeah. There's <laughs> <It's> a few <laughs> different reasons to There's be a few different right reasons that. to to be suspicious of it well i think i mean um it's it's traditional music and so the uh, the people who enjoy traditional music quite often do have uh you know a set set of things that they like to hear yeah um which is fine but so for some people for sure the fact that it's a digital instrument the fact that it's electronic mm. um separates it from the kind of acoustic folk world which is fine but you go to any folk gig and they're all mic'd up so Gosh, it's not are. a huge amount of difference but um the other thing is that the piano obviously originally was a a very expensive instrument and it would only exist in rich households um uh, okay. so there's this feeling that it is a parlor instrument it's not come from the same roots as the Hmm. folk instruments i don't think that's fair myself i mean all of these instruments you know all of the acoustic instruments are also orchestral instruments Hmm. um but you know it's i i can understand it i mean the piano doesn't sound like any other instrument really it's such a unique Sound and if what you like is the kind of string-based folk with the guitars and the fiddles, which I also love, is brilliant. I can see how a piano is not going to fit into into that thing for you.
0: But that's interesting, though, because to my point of view, the piano is is a folk instrument in the sense that, like, so like my. Parents maybe, but like my grandparents and great grandparents' generation, mm. there was a piano in the family somewhere and that was the instrument that people played and that was the instrument people heard. Like we'd be sat around singing sure. the piano. If you're in the pub it would be the piano, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. pub well, would have music
0: hall songs and that which to me is a Exactly it's an element of folk in that it's music of the the working class, I guess, but
1: yeah, I totally agree. And I think there was a shift, and exactly that the musical, I, I I'd say, is where there was a shift in how the piano kind of started to be perceived. And you, like you said, you get pianos everywhere now; they're very, very cheap to buy. Mm. Um, the piano I had growing up, I'm I'm not from a um a wealthy family, um, I definitely am from a working class family. Mm. Um, and the piano, I which i don't know why that matters but it feels like there's some element of authenticity in folk um mm. and this kind of weird class idea in some ways can be bound up in it but anyway um the piano i had when i was growing up um a friend of my mum's was going to the council bonfire and there was a uh, and there was a piano waiting to be Chopped up with an axe and chucked on the bonfire, and so um, she rescued yeah. it. And uh, we had it tuned up, and it was never, it was never perfect, but I loved that piano. It was yeah. brilliant. <laughs> There's
0: a very similar story in my family. Actually, we we had a piano mm. at home, but the story was that my, I think it was my mum's family. There was a piano around which nobody wanted because you know they were ten a penny. Actually, at that point, yeah. But by then, everyone was more into records, and I think the guitar had come along as well. So they just there right. was no. Um, There was no currency for piano, I guess. So they were chopping them up and and throwing them on fires and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Like you mentioned about they're all orchestral instruments, but like my understanding of the what people think of as a you know the not a classical guitar but the classic folky guitar is not Mm. that old as a design actually. And a dreadnought guitar was designed exactly to be loud enough to compete with the rest of an orchestra. So Mm. you know it wasn't you know perhaps it wasn't designed as a. Um, a parlour instrument. In fact, it was it was souping up parlour instruments. But anyway. But, you know, people mm. have these sort of preconceptions about things, don't they? And the, the one about yeah. genre is interesting in the sense yeah. that... So I kind of dabbled around the folk circuit as well. But I'm fully aware that there are some venues who were who are like, no, we're very traditional and you're not traditional enough. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Mm. And I think there's a place for places like that. There's a reason Absolutely. for them to exist yeah, to hear sure. that music going. And I'd rather that be a reason, I suppose, than we just don't like you Um, but (laughs) then that um but then that does cause problems in terms of people wanting to put music into boxes doesn't it so i'm wondering how that works for you if your music has these quite separate elements of classical and jazz and folk Mm. has pitching that been difficult
1: yeah Um, I would say so and I think maybe it's partly because I have gone down the route of pitching myself as a folk musician if you you know I'm trying to um I'm trying to appeal to a world that does in some ways have quite clear ideas of what it considers that music to be um and like you said there's definitely a place for that but yeah I would say that it's been trickier to kind of um Get a foot in the – I mean, I don't – it's hard to say, isn't it? Because who knows what other people's roots have been. But I think mm. it's sometimes a tricky sell. Um, uh, but, you know, it's all – music's all difficult, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, I think it is. Yeah.
0: Th- well, anything worth doing is difficult, but certainly artistic endeavours. Yeah. If, you're, if you're trying to do your own thing as well, that's the other thing, isn't it? It's yeah, difficult yeah. for an audience or for a radio person or whatever to completely get what you're doing if it's um if they've not heard it before. It's yeah. a bit easier for them if you can say it's you know, it's traditional acoustic folk, then okay, that's great, that fits here. But if it's a mix mm-hmm. of different things, I guess that's a bit trickier. And the answer yeah. is well, you have to listen to it. <laughs> and of course yeah, people exactly. people aren't able to do that with, you know, I know that people are very busy and the amount of submissions that they get you you can't give yeah. hours of really developing your ear to someone's new stuff I guess.
1: No, exactly. You couldn't do that with everybody, but also I do think the folk world is a very warm and welcoming place and and um the more I gig and the more venues and people I meet, you know, people the folk scene has a, a really thriving live music scene and people are interested in new stuff and they mm-hmm. you know there's a real appetite for new stuff you just have to like you said you just have to sell it to people
0: it's good that though that you say that it's a supportive circuit and that you think mm. that's in terms of the audiences and the other performers as well the other musicians yeah.
1: oh absolutely yeah i think folk performers and musicians are just some of the loveliest people you'll meet they're just all so passionate about the tradition they're passionate about their work um and um, they're just all—I can't think of a single musician that I've met who wasn't absolutely lovely. So, yeah,
0: that's quite the statement, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I can think of a couple. No, Yeah, uh, that's that's good. It's, <laughs> but the best ones are like that, aren't they? That's what I've found yeah. with with various stuff as well, music, but well, everything really. People who are good tend to be yeah. quite nice, really. And it's people yeah, because you've got
1: nothing to be threatened. That's by. That's
0: it. That's it. And people who are a bit self conscious can be a bit prickly sometimes, I guess,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and that's the other thing like if everybody's different and doing different things then it's not it's not really competition, is it um
1: no, for sure
0: that is something that I like to ask people though on this podcast is is um, comparison is the thief of joy, and it's something mm-hmm. that I've struggled with at points where like you'll see a contemporary or a not quite contemporary doing something yeah. really cool, and it's not that you're jealous, it's just in the sense of like, oh, you know, they're yeah. getting to do that. Like, am I gonna get to do that? How has that come about? And yeah. I've tried to develop the skill of rather than feeling like that about it, to feel, oh, they're doing that, therefore it is possible. And I will work yeah. as hard as they have to be able to do it. But I'm just wondering, have you had those sorts of thoughts as well when you see other people doing interesting things?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's really difficult, isn't it? I think, um, again with social media and all of the musicians i know we have to be you know all of us like unsigned independents. you have to be on social media it's a great way to reach your audience and build your audience um but then yeah it's so easy you see someone sharing something they're doing it's really easy to um find that somehow a personal failing if someone Mm. else is achieving and it's something i've been working really hard on in the last year that actually like you said instead of it being well, they're doing that and i'm doing really badly because i'm not doing that Mm. trying to kind of just celebrate the fact that they are doing that and think you know i do all of these people people i admire they deserve to be doing as well as they're doing in whatever instance it is and um them achieving something doesn't mean that I can't also achieve you know similar things. So yeah, I do, I agree it's really difficult. It's difficult not to end up in the kind of spiral of despair sometimes when you <laughs> when you see these things.
0: And you're comparing yourself if you're talking about that social media thing yeah. with their very best because generally people exactly. it's it's in work and just in life as well people are putting out the very best version of themselves, which is fair. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, we we all are, yeah.
0: So you're comparing perhaps yourself feeling not at your best with someone else's best and it's quite easy to fall into those traps of, I don't know, in our circuit, it might be like, all of their gigs are selling out when you know yes. logically they're probably not. Um, or they've <laughs> played that amazing venue. So, yeah, but a venue's only amazing if the gigs are made. You know, it's all those sorts of things, yeah. but it's oh, yeah, very yeah. easy to... Um, to just see the, the bullshit of it, I guess the bullshit factor. Yeah. Um, not that yeah. I'm trying to say that people are just lying, but I mean, I say it's that presenting your very best of everything. Exactly. All the time,
1: people isn't it? are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are putting forward their best face, which you know they have to do. We all have to do. But yeah, exactly. You're seeing one side of the story.
0: One of the reasons I wanted to do this partly was to mm. get a bit more of an honest um, reflection on some of the things that are difficult, because I feel sure. as if people, like when I was starting out, looking at people who were doing maybe what I'm doing now and some of my contemporaries and people a bit further up the ladder, it's like, oh, Mm. that seems so amazing. I mean, first of all, you just got to be honest that just getting to play music for at least part of your living and and having Mm. people, it's a really cheeky thing, isn't it, to stand up there and be like, I'm now going to share with you some things that I've written, which you're (laughs) going to find so interesting that you're going to applaud and buy an album and become a fan. You know, it's quite cheeky
1: so it's, yeah. it's kind
0: of it's kind of a privilege to actually get away with that on some levels I suppose um sure yeah and I think there's an element of having to remind yourself of that and like I, I having to do the side stuff as well so like if you teach music or whatever or, or mm. do other things or I know a, a whole lot of performers will do other jobs that have got nothing at all related to performing yeah um or creativity and you can get down about that but you're still having the opportunity to do the things that you want to do, I guess. And you just need to remind yourself of that sometimes, I think, don't you?
1: Yeah. And also, you know, um, some musicians who are, who are, you know, managing to make it full time. um, It isn't necessarily the kind of shiny pinnacle of perfection and achievement that we think it is, you know, there's still a, so much hard graft that goes on and people who are gigging, you know, a hundred days in the year, you know that that's just that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time away from home, and so there's a balance, there's always a balance on on each side. I um I work part time. I work for a charity, um a few days a week. Um I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to pay my bills without it. Um and it's uh. I don't, I don't resent it. I don't, um, it's sometimes hard, you know, I'd like, I'd like to be a full-time musician, but also at the same time, it's really grounding. It's good to know that three days a week, I know exactly where I have to go and what I'm going to be doing. It also gets you out of the bubble a little bit. Like I'm working with normal people who or normal people, but like (laughs) non-musicians who are focused on a whole different set of, you know, issues and things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's also getting harder and harder, as everyone knows, to make a, f- a living from music. So um, I think it's going to become more of a model. We're going to see more and more people doing part-time work in other areas.
0: Yeah, and tell us a bit about that then. Why would you, why, apart from most obvious, I suppose, but why do you think mm. that it is getting more difficult and in what ways?
1: Well, I think um, I think audiences are shrinking maybe especially in the folk world because we're not seeing a lot of new folk fans come up. I think in the last few years there's there's a huge um, growth in new young musicians coming up, which is amazing. Mm. Um, but we kind of need the audience to follow. Um, and partly that's because I think people have less expendable income to kind of spend, you know, people, I think 10, 15, 20 years ago, spending a tenner on a ticket for a night out, I think people would do without thinking too much about it, but now right. people are getting more and more conscious of, um, you know, times are getting harder for everybody in one way or another. Um, and I also think, uh, it's just the gen, you know, the shift in how people consume music digitally is, is made a huge impact. Streaming is just, you know, it's great to be able to reach people around the world, but it doesn't, it doesn't pay any bills. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, even I think, I read some statistic about um, "Happy," you know that Pharrell Williams song "Happy." Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, huge it, song. It, huge song, and it got however millions of however millions of streams in the first month, and it amounted to something like five thousand yeah. pounds for like millions and millions and millions of streams. And it's just uh, it, that you know, streaming is really taking a big chunk out of I think a lot of gigging musicians revenues mm-hmm. um I, you know I don't know what the argument is to fix it because you can't stop how people consume music I, I stream music everybody streams music um I guess it's just you need to fix the pay structures maybe
0: yeah I think there's a few things there isn't there it's like one of the frustrating things about certain platforms is oh we we don't make any profit as in the the mm. platform doesn't, but actually, well, it's quite a lot of people working for you, and there's quite a yeah. quite a nice office and all those sorts of things. I think there are some fairer yeah. platforms. It's just that they're not the biggest ones that the majority of people yeah. use, which you know is another thing. And they're
1: big, they're big exactly for that reason because they are the ones that pay the least money, I guess. Or I don't yeah, know the I think stats, so. but you know what I mean.
0: And I think it's you know they their businesses. I think there's been you could argue that. Creatives have been let down a little bit by some of the people who should be looking out for them, mm. um, certain bodies and that, and that kind of thing. But as with all of it, it's just – Have you? there's a great book called – I'm just going to look because it's on the shelf. Hang on. Mm. Uh, How Music Got Free, which is by oh, okay. Stephen, Stephen Witt from a couple of years mm. ago, and it's all about the invention of the MP3. And the fact that it was these German scientists invented the MP3 in the 90s, I think, and mm-hmm. kind of pitched it to record labels. This will be amazing. People can even stream music down a telephone line. This is going to change everything. <laughs> and record labels said, no, that's rubbish. We don't want that because they loved selling the physical product, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it was only then when the illegal downloading took over and, and kind of... Um, pulled the rug from under the feet of the record labels that they decided really slowly to get into it and and streaming now it is huge, but it really think about it, the technology was there a long time before it actually happened and yeah. in a way, <laughs> perhaps the industry kind of deserved it because you know I remember being i 'm early 30s, so when I was getting into mm. music and I was teenage, it was still going and buying albums. And because yeah. of the music I like, it was mostly albums from 30, 40, 50, you know, I was buying all the Beatles albums and Led Zeppelin albums. So you think about that now, I was paying me 10 quid or whatever as a teenager mm. to get a, a CD with a rubbish little inlay book in it that was just <laughs> the original album you know, shrinked down onto this little thing. And loving the music, but actually... You could argue I wasn't getting amazing value for that, really. So then when it was possible to have Mm. it for free, obviously people were going to go for it, weren't they? Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: Um, of course. Obviously, the people that that affects are those sort of at the coalface. But then the other way I look at that is like I wasn't around when there was millions of records being sold. So in that sense… I don't m- I don't miss it I suppose but the other thing is for most artists for every Rolling Stones who were doing so well on their record sales there was mm. hundreds of artists who were selling yeah. a lot but were getting ripped off by somebody and never seeing the money for it.
1: Yeah absolutely and also I mean um how we create music has changed so much now um you know sort of I can't I- I want to say in the 60s but I could be wrong about that. The only way to record an album was to do it through a label. Mm. And so um now we're now anyone who has a laptop is able to create music and put it online and share it with yeah. people. So there's it's a double-edged sword really, you know, it's uh, people who you know, 50 years ago just wouldn't have been able to create their own records. Now absolutely yep. can. You don't have to have a label. You don't have to have management. You can, you know, you can create stuff and get it played on on the national on national um, radio and stuff. So it's kind of, it, there are two sides to it for sure.
0: And the other thing with that is is that you had to sell loads of product in those days because you were yeah. repaying the record label's time and all that and you had to pay the record label and play the plugger and pay the... I don't know the roadie and all the different people. Whereas an independent yeah. musician now, it is possible to be in- incredibly lean, isn't it? And also, yeah. the technology means that you can communicate directly with your uh, your audience, your customers. So mm-hmm. you actually need you don't need to sell as much stuff to to potentially make a living. I guess it's the thousand true fans thing, isn't it? Like if you have mm. a thousand people who are going to spend twenty quid on you a year, then that goes some way to <clears throat> so, yeah. to having a. You know, an income, but obviously it's getting those thousand people, and it's all yeah. the the competition because you're not just competing with every band in your town anymore; you're competing with every artist in the world,
1: yeah, who's ever true.
0: existed. That's you know, it's you know, it's every so that does make it more difficult, I guess. How,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do you feel about that? Are you kind of do you feel that like you have um a base of supporters who will who are there for you, and how have you got them? Has it been through live shows?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Gosh, I think that's a really difficult question. I mean, to be very ca- to be very candid with you, I have uh, I have uh, general anxiety disorder, um, so a lot of uh, I, I, I expend energy um, fighting between things I possibly believe to be true that maybe aren't true. Mm. So um, the answer to that is probably yes i think i do have um a good chunk of people who are very supportive and um but there's always a part of me that fights back against that and doesn't quite believe it i suppose mm. um but so that the that kind of audience has been gathered yeah through through um live through live playing um and uh, particularly when i um as I mentioned I I I supported um a band on their tour a couple of years ago and that really helped me reach a new audience I guess it was a big platform to help um increase that audience base so uh, I'm communicating with them through all digital means really through um, email and social media and stuff um I'm working on a new album my my second album at the moment and um uh I I run a Kickstarter to to raise money for the for the fees for that um because obviously when you make an album you before you can kind of make money from selling it you have to pay for it. Yes of course yeah. <laughs> and musicians we just don't have money. Um and so uh the Kickstarter was to help pay for the just the real nuts and bolts of the album. I've recorded it all at home, which is great. It's mm-hmm. saved a lot of CJ money. Um, but um I, I didn't know what the reaction to putting the Kickstarter out was, and I was just really amazed and really um grateful that people really got behind it and um wanted to pre order the album and that kind of stuff. So yeah, that was that has been really amazing.
0: Did it was it a difficult decision to decide to do the Kickstarter? Did you because I I did a, a pledge campaign for my uh, mm. album a couple of years ago and people have been <coughs> suggesting that I should do it for a while and I was a bit like, oh, I don't know. Feels mm. a bit, I don't know, just A, I don't know if anybody will support that and then I'll be embarrassed mm. if it doesn't happen. And yeah. B, is it kind of like begging? But then I sort of had a bit of an epiphany with it where it's, no, it's, it's a commission you know, if you can get it to work, yeah. it's people saying, we like what you what you do, please go and do some more now.
1: Yeah. And the way that I structured this Kickstarter campaign is that um, all I was asking for really is pre-orders. So people are buying yeah. the album just in advance. They're buying the album before it's been made. Yeah. And then all of the other bonuses on top of that, they're kind of paying for services. So um, one of the things I offered is a house gig. Um, and again, I think it's just that the process is reversed. So people are paying beforehand. Um, Mm. So I guess I didn't feel quite like that because I I, I wasn't asking for donations, I guess. I was just asking for people to buy something in advance. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's exactly what it is. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it, depending on how you do it, it also gives them a chance to be involved in it as well.
1: Yeah. So, mm-hmm.
0: you know, I know people have done various things like which of the songs should make it on or um, right. what should we call the album? You know, and then for some degree people have a... Um,
1: Bit of involvement. An, yeah,
0: an involvement in it. And if they are a, a genuine fan of something, that's that's amazing, isn't it? Again, you mm. wouldn't have been doing that with Led Zeppelin at the height of the 70s. But they wouldn't have cared <laughs> for were average fan yeah, yeah. thought. But... Um, I only one for me it was years ago. I had a friend at uni who was a big fan of Marillion. And we, we, you know, we just used to go back to Marillion all the time and none of us were interested. But way back <laughs> then they did an album um, and crowdfunded it. I don't think it was called – I don't know what they'd have called it, but like a pre-order campaign. And then put everybody's name in the album – Sleeve, yeah, uh-huh. Um. Who'd, who'd pledged, and we were just a bit like, so you can't have that many fans then if you can fit them all in the ball. And then, you, <laughs> and then you just a few years later, you go, Oh no, they're just really ahead of their time. And it's like, they don't yeah. need a record label because what is yeah, a record label in the day is a, a link between people who buy stuff and people who sell stuff, like in any business. Mm-hmm. You, with technology, perhaps you don't need those things so much in quite the same way,
1: yeah.
0: Unless, yeah, so, I mean, sure, sorry.
1: I was I was gonna say I was quite keen to um I quite wanted to put the second album out on a on a label because I, I hadn't got a label for the first one yeah um, and then I, I sat down and had a chat with someone who he's kind of a bit of a mentor and he he kind of he, he said you know what what is why do you want a label is it because what if they can offer you and if mm. so what is it that you think they can offer you yeah. or is it because you think it Gives you a brand, a, like a stamp of authenticity that you maybe feel like you're missing. Yes. And when he put it like that, I thought, yeah, maybe you know, maybe I just still don't need a label. Maybe being fully independent. Uh, you know, one of the things I really love about being a fully independent musician is I create exactly what i want to create i don't have anybody else saying this is how it needs to sound this is what you need to be writing songs about this is the kind of audience you have to appeal to i'm not saying labels necessarily do that mm-hmm. but i do um if i then you know created an album uh, you have to kind of look for a a label that maybe feels that your sound ties in with what they're selling or their you know particular vibe And did I want to create a label, uh, an album with the idea of it needing to appeal to a particular label? Or did I just want to create the sound I wanted to create? You know, so.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Mm. And it's that, yeah, absolutely. Unless they can do something that you literally can't do for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Any any of these, and, you know, there are great labels and there are great agents and there are great managers and all kinds of things because they can do things that an artist. Or what a creative can't do for themselves, but a lot of the stuff a creative can do for themselves now. I mean, some of the mm-hmm. skills that you need to do it, I guess, don't naturally fall into everybody's wheelhouse, and perhaps that's a different conversation. But yeah, but yeah, and that thing about authenticity, I find interesting because that's another thing that I go around with is like
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you're doing all these things, but if you haven't had a certain radio play, or if you haven't had this or that, you know, if people are people looking at you? You're not really authentic because you haven't had this, I haven't had that, but. It's rubbish, really, isn't it? Like one of, the, <laughs> one of the mm. sort of key points for me. If you know Neil um, King Vaitia, who spoke to me for this recently, mm. he has this thing about um, yeah, it's great to have national, you know, Radio Two spot play is amazing because you've got I don't know millions of people listening, but they're people listening while they're doing the washing up or the school run or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas the thirty people listening to some internet folk radio show of people who are really interested in that stuff and seek it Mm -hmm. out so actually perhaps that small dedicated audience is more useful
1: yeah and i think exactly what you're doing as well now i think podcasts people are consuming in you know more and more people are listening to podcasts and there's quite a few folk podcasts that are now coming out that are starting to build a really strong audience and i think um, part of that is the intimacy of it feeling a bit more like a one-on-one conversation if you're listening Mm. to a podcast it feels like someone's talking to you um and so maybe that's something that you consume in a slightly different way in a slightly more kind of focused way
0: yeah and it's again a lot of my favorite podcasts are not going to be things that are i mean it'd be great to have an hour-long show on bbc4 on telly with two musicians talking but it's not going to happen because the the audience for that is quite specific i guess but yeah. it's it's a great audience and it's a dedicated audience and it's enough people to make it worthwhile doing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's the thing. And people will seek it out. Um, if, it, if you wouldn't mind, it'd be interesting to talk a bit more about the anxiety in mm-hmm. the sense that – so I do bits of work with like drama and some education stuff as well. And as yeah. you were mentioning earlier when you were coming up, music provision was free and available to everybody and and now that's not quite the case and Mm. the arts is under pressure in schools in lots of different ways but at the same time at the other end of the scale you've got the NHS suggest I don't know where we are with this now but there was some talk of them prescribing arty and creative stuff to people with mental Mm. health issues instead of drugs because the benefits of doing something creative can be as, as useful as the drugs are. It's like, well, how can we be taking it away from the mm. kids, you know, at that stage and then prescribing it to people later? So yeah. anyway, I was, I was just kind of wondering, performing music and being creative, is that helpful in terms of the anxiety? Does it cause problems with the anxieties? I guess it's a mm. mix.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just um, – it- it kind of uh i think the thing with anxiety is that everything sort of just gets enveloped into it so mm. there are things that help it and there are things that trigger it and make it worse about kind of all aspects of life i suppose i mean the thing with um music and any creative thing is that you can get highs you can get real highs and you can get crashing lows like you know yeah. um you know the anxiety about putting this next record out and um it shouldn't it shouldn't matter what people think of it if I love it right but that Mm -hmm. inevitably is not going to be the case (laughs) so there feels like there's a lot of pressure and then um with anxiety uh it is just that um it's this kind of warped warped sense of reality that you can't always necessarily trust that what you think is right so um I guess music helps in that I, it's one of the areas that I do feel confident in myself. If I, I, I think I'm a good songwriter. And I think, um, one, we live in a culture where it's not okay to say things like that. Um, anything creative, you, you have to be self deprecating about at all times. Um, someone could say, I'm a, I'm a good mathematician and mm. people would just be like, cool, good, good good news. But if you say you're good at um, at anything creative, I I think I'm a good artist. People will, people take that in a really uh, negative way. I don't really know what it is. Um, But so having that confidence, uh, again, the anxiety can kind of undermine that because there's all these extra feelings buzzing around um that kind of try and suck suck it down i guess i haven't explained that very well sorry
0: no that's really that's really interesting because the it's a weird um it's a weird contradiction isn't it in the uh society like i mean i particularly with singing i think this is the case society mm. at the moment really wants to talk about your talent shows and stuff, wants to reward amazing. They're an amazing singer. That vocal mm-hmm. was incredible. Whether it yeah. was musical or not, it doesn't matter because they were doing all the all the stuff, all the bits and pieces. Right. And then yeah. at the same time, if someone opens their mouth and sing and it's no good, it's, like, oh, it's funny, you know, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So it's weird that there seems to be a lot of currency in a, a singer who's great, but you're saying, yeah. you know, if, if you say it of yourself, it's a bit unattractive. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's, yeah. is there a kind of cultural Britishness thing in that a bit perhaps? I, don't I know. think
1: so. I definitely think partly that. I think it's partly, I mean, t- tying into what you've said about education, I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's awful that um, the arts are getting kind of stripped away from um, education and that's because it's any creative artistic pursuit is considered a bonus and an indulgence, right? Yeah. So, all the musicians I know practice hard it's it's a job you work at it um and it is um structured um it might not be structured the same as a, a kind of stem subject, but there is still the same amount of kind of um level of work that's needed for something but because people all, all people see is that level of intuitive talent that kind of little spark mm. um and that's the thing that's valued. Um, and so I guess the, the thing about taking all these things away from kids is like, what, what do you consider education to be? Is education just how much value that person is going to be to the economy when they leave school? Or is education about providing someone with the tools to lead a fulfilling and happy life, which includes, um, productivity? in mm-hmm. a capitalist society yeah. but also should include those things that help to make you feel a better, fuller person. And music is is both of those things. It is work and it is graft but it is also fulfilling. And I think that's what people kind of resent a bit about it. That's why if you're not good at it, people will laugh and they'll try and drag you down or, or you're not what they consider to be good at it mm-hmm. um, because how dare you want to have something above and beyond this kind of specifically prescribed idea of what work is, I guess. Mm.
0: Yeah, and the, th- <laughs> the thing with the creative things is like, f- first of all, with education, it sh- to my point of view, it should be the case that you can study things just for the enjoyment of them. So even, even if you're never going to use it for a job. So if you're really interested in geography, but you're not going to use it in words, it's fine. Study geography, be interested in it. Yeah. If, you, if you really want to know about art history... Fine, why not? You know, it's that's that should be how it is. But I think you're right, yeah. it's a drive towards what you're gonna have for a job, what is how is this gonna help you in work? Maths and science and English will help you with everything, so do all of them and then choose yeah. now. Choose now what work is gonna be and all that kind of thing. So that's yeah. the first thing. And then as you say, just stuff like having some musical ability. It's going back to that piano in the pub, isn't it? It's like having that and it's true this time of year particularly, having that sort mm-hmm. of family dick around sing along in the parlour <laughs> is fantastic yeah. you know you're, you none of you might go off and be full-time musicians but it doesn't matter if you've got some ability to play two or three chords on something and have a sing song and it, yeah. you know you're really missing a lot if you don't have a chance to do that it's like swimming you might never be in a shipwreck but the ability to just swim <laughs> brings so much to your life doesn't it why does it have to yeah. be I, what am I trying to say do things have to be useful in that sense I don't know yeah, can't they just no, be enjoyable absolutely
1: And it also, again, comes back to what do you consider useful? Surely enjoyment is a useful emotion. Surely, um, surely the satisfaction that comes with learning a particularly difficult piece of bark on your violin when you're Mm. 10 years old and you're really struggling to get it to sound good. Mm. That's valuable. That's important that and you know, um, it you know it's all we've got. Very philosophical now, haven't we? We have. It's- we, this is good.
0: <laughs> We're going to change everything. But it's like um, it's like kids drawing, isn't it? This is a really sad yeah. thing. Kids generally, from my experience, mm. have all this stuff and kind of know it all intuitively. Yeah. And they might not be like if a kid draws a picture. Okay, it might not win any prizes, but they've expressed themselves with that picture. And yeah. at some some point, all of that just goes, whether it naturally goes or or it's kind of encouraged out of most people i don't know but
1: that, yeah that but also of you know disappears but also you know a kid will draw a picture and they'll be they'll think it's brilliant they'll be really proud mm. of it they'll be like look what i've made isn't this brilliant and we grind we grind that out of people as well like yeah you you can create something and think that it's brilliant and you should do that i mean i'm not saying that you shouldn't always work at things and want to get mm. better but um you don't have i think it's also partly this thing that we're now universal world you don't have to create something and it be the absolutely best version of that thing it possibly can be for it to be of value um but we are just used to everything being held up on social media and everyone having an opinion
0: yes that's interesting as well it's like yeah things are yeah, things are reviewed straight away, aren't they? So I guess that kind of... And everything is perfect. So that adds to the fear yeah. of putting stuff out there, doesn't it? Because
1: And everything happens so rapidly as well. So when I released the last album, um, people very kindly and i've appreciated it but I literally like within a week of it being out people were asking about the new album <laughs> and that's because people expect things to happen so quickly now and i was like this yeah. has been t- two years in the making it's just come out for you but for me this has been two years of work that's culminated yeah um, i'm not complaining it's a really really lovely thing to be asked but yeah that, so we anyone have listening in? don't
0: ask her <laughs> when the next no it's true because it but you need that stuff as well because again it's the commission isn't it it's giving you this yeah. the spur that people want it hear it and i however um however um, self-aware or whatever people are i think at some point you do need an audience however small to sort of ask Mm. you to do more um going back to that Mm -hmm. that crowdfunding thing for me i said it's like well um michelangelo had to do commissions he had to do stuff he didn't even want to do, but the person who was paying him wanted that, so he had to do it. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, yeah.
1: It's
0: It's been in a very narrow period of time where music has been these people who come along, write something, sell millions of records and have amazing rock star lives. In the whole of human history, it's only been like, what... Well, it was only for 40 or 50 years that was happening. And for every other musician mm-hmm. who's ever lived, it was commissions and being yeah. a troubadour. Patronage. And mm-hmm. Patronage, exactly right. You know, the the, the, music, the classical musicians that we so um, hold up now at the moment, as far as my understanding of it is, and I'm not an expert, but mm-hmm. your Mozarts and your Bachs and people like that, yeah, they had patrons. And again, they weren't necessarily yeah. doing what they wanted to do. And I think for a lot of them, they would not, Re- mega rich and successful in their lifetimes I don't think no. it kind of happened f- retrospectively that they were so well regarded
1: yeah I mean some of though yeah I think that's true for a lot of people I mean some of them were the exceptions right as as mm. it always is the case like Mozart was a an exception of someone who's who, who was very famous in his lifetime because yeah. he was this kind of absolute child prodigy but <clears throat> I think that's also really another interesting point is that we think about it's easy to think about the music industry as being um, how do I, how do I become Ed Sheeran Mm. or, you know, 300, 400 years ago, how do I become Mozart? But those people are the exception that proves the rule. That isn't Mm. what being a musician is like in general. Um, And they worked extremely hard. Ed Sheeran and Mozart, who I'm now talking about in the same breath for some reason, (laughs) they both worked incredibly hard, but there are also a lot of um, things that happened in their journeys that, that, made an exceptional outcome and actually i think if you're a musician and you if you're in music because you want to be rich and famous you're going to become bitter and twisted quite young and you have to think you have to be in it because of the music and not because of the fantastical riches that you think might be in your future
0: Mm. but i think sorry go
1: that's no i was gonna say that's the fairy tale that people are told that's what people consider i'm not you know i'm saying you know well
0: you're back on your x factor thing then aren't you like the one that Mm -hmm. always i mean i hate those shows anyway but one that always gets through that kind of thing is the the person who's like 19 saying this is my Mm. last chance
1: yeah (laughs) this is my last
0: chance at making it and it's like well a no it's not and b Mm -hmm. if you think like that just go down the pub and do a few songs and yeah. just get form a band and just have fun um yeah which leads me on to something I like to ask people as well which is success mm-hmm. what would be your definition of success in sort of uh, artistically and career wise
1: mm. <laughs> I mean that's a really tricky question isn't it uh I mean I feel I already feel like I've ticked some of the um tipped some of the success boxes I guess that I wanted when I set out like I couldn't have imagined a few years ago I couldn't have imagined that I would have gone from playing in pubs to playing in some of these amazing venues that I've been really privileged to play in and I think success is an ongoing question right so rather than there being one big thing that I want to achieve
0: yeah. I think
1: it's about this is where I am now what will it look like to me at the next like what's the next level of success that I want to get to, I guess is is Mm -hmm. the thing. Um, So at this point, I think I would really love this album to do as well, if not better than the last album did. Um, I'd like to be, I'd like to be just gigging a lot more, I think is the main thing. I'd love to be making more music, uh, more money for music. And I'd like to be making more music in general. Um, yeah, but the, I think, um, again, I've sort of had to battle with anxiety and the pressure that it puts me under. And so trying to limit the kind of scope of pressure that I put on myself is quite helpful in combating that. So instead of trying to think, unless I reach, unless I'm Seth Lakeman level of fame, mm. I'm, not, I'm I'm a failure, um, and trying to think about it within the scope of where I am now instead. Mm.
0: And is it possible to keep that kind of very level-headed way of looking at it, or does it depend rather <laughs> on on mood and stuff?
1: Yeah, no, it's absolutely not possible. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I try and remember that. <laughs> that's
0: the um, that's the the sort of goal of it, because it's it's yeah. like, but it's like everything in life, isn't it? It's like some days you wake up and you think, oh, it's you know. This is a nice home and mm. got some nice friends and this is all great, isn't it, really? And how lucky mm. I am. And then for no reason whatsoever another day it's like, Well wow. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Exactly. The cat's just been sick on the car <laughs> and this is that, and it's like, Oh God, why me? You know, and it's
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's hard to and now of course the middle ground is true. Mm. But it's hard to, to stay there sometimes, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean that's definitely an aspirational position to be in. Um to kind of have that level headedness at all times. But um, (laughs) yeah, I think also something that I find really valuable is because it is hard to make money from music and I'm not, you know, I'm not ever necessarily going to be wealthy from it. I do value um, the kind of individual, the individual stories about people and my music. And and I try and Mm. find, you know, success in those moments. If someone, if someone particularly resonates with a song or, you know, People come up to you in gigs and say they love listening to your album or something. That's really important. And that's that's mm. kind of what you do it for, you know?
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? And those are the. And again, if you were to sort of go back and look at how you would want things to be when you first started out, the idea that mm. anybody would come. I mean, I'm, I'm talking for you, but for me, certainly. Mm when I was starting to write songs and play gigs and I was playing in pubs where the objective was if you could get people to listen for 10 minutes to the middle of your set, then that was a good gig because the rest of the time they were just chatting through.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. particularly
0: if it's original material as well. um, The idea then that you would have somebody come up to you and say such and such song means this to me is kind of like.
1: And doing gigs where, you know, um, doing a, a tour of gigs, which you've set up, and having people, you know, like you said, you see other people, you think, oh, they're selling out venues. Why am I not doing that? You know, if you yeah. have 20 people who are paying to come to see you yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: play your own music, that's a huge, that's a huge achievement. That is a really lovely thing to have.
0: I think that's true. And I mean, I think just talk to you a lot of my, some of the things I've struggled with actually come do that, mm. come down to perception because that thing with gigs as well. I'm not bothered if it's not got loads of people there i'll do this you know i perform just as much i'm not bothered but it's that thing of the people who are here um are gonna think you know as it, if it, it, it reflects badly mm. it's like hosting a party that not many people come to it's yeah it's a bit embarrassing yeah.
1: but yeah, of course absolutely
0: experience shows that's not the case the people who are there think they're so good you know why aren't mm-hmm. more people here people are missing out we're so lucky to be here yeah um usually anyway but it you takes hope, some, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah it takes some um experience to be able to look at it that way i think
1: yeah oh definitely and there's i think you know you're always going to have to fight against that voice aren't you
0: and it does and the thing is it's levels isn't it because if you're playing to a room of 20 people compared to playing to a room of five people but then you want to be playing to a room of 30 people and then when you're playing mm-hmm. in an arts center for 100 people but only 70 turn up it might feel yeah like, exactly. it might feel like a disaster well actually it's not you know it's
1: yeah and that's something one. I've really had to deal with as well is that you can't let every stage of the journey mm. feel like it's not good enough and you need to be at the next one because then you're going to look back in 20 years time and realize that you didn't enjoy any any step of the yeah, way that's and true. that is something I really um have had to try and fight against as well for sure
0: I've, I find it difficult as well sometimes in the again looking in what it what you imagine a career is going to be like it's constant um, upward trajectory or I can't speak, constant upward trajectory yeah um in that you're well do this that will go well and then the next step is this and that will go well and then that's but of course it isn't like that is it you, you yeah. one thing will happen quite well and then you'll go to that venue the next time and oh it's not quite worked out as good as I was expecting and I think it's quite easy to fall into the trap of that being a bit um a bit of a downer as well but mm-hmm. you, for all the reasons we've discussed you know the pressure on money and as in the audience's money and the or the, mm. the competition, then you just have to accept that sometimes things will be great and sometimes not so good. But it's mm. and it kind of doesn't matter, does it? Like you can play to a few people and still have an amazing um, definitely communication. Definitely, with
1: them. and those people have you know it might not be a full room, but everybody in that room has paid their money for you to come and put on a yeah. show. So you put on the best show you can, and and yeah. for those people and that is your job. That's what they're paying you to do. Um, and yes you you know you owe them that um and i think i think they're it's a really important mind shift is to think that um your audience don't owe you anything you owe the audience a show you owe them the Mm. best performance you can give them because they're that's what they're paying their money to uh to come and have you're 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 entertaining them um and they don't care if uh, you know, you had a bad journey down, or you had a bad drive or whatever, or they don't care if your maybe your voice is a bit throaty. croaky. They care that that they are invested in your music and they want to hear you give them a give them a show.
0: That's it. Give them a show. I think that's a really great place to end it then. That's been fascinating. Um tell us a little bit about what's happening, what are you up to in the early part of 2020.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um so um my uh second album is coming out our bright night um it's released on the 23rd of april and so um from feb through to kind of early may i'm um i'm going to be touring that around the uk um and then next uh kind of um harvest period i guess i'm doing a project with um ben walker uh where we're going to be reimagining and investigating some of the traditional english songs um that celebrate the harvest period, so we're basically oh, cool. gonna be doing like a little harvest festival uh which is gonna be really fun i think
0: that's great and where's the best place for people to find you and listen to your music
1: yeah sure um so my website is kirstymeron dot com um and then i'm I'm everywhere basically if you <laughs> google Kirsty you'll find me yeah.
0: Okay, Chris. that's great. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat Thanks, to me. Thanks,
1: Robert. Lovely to chat to you.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community, and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, till next time, goodbye.